Happy Pi Day, Aaron. Pi Day. Three one four. So, and then St. Louis, of course, has dual meanings. Uh, number one, the uh, obviously Pi is three point one four one five nine. Blah 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 blah. Also in St. Louis, three one four is the area code. So St. Louisans get extra excited about it and think, wow, what a day where we can rejoice and celebrate in all things St. Louis, which is typically St. Louis food, delectables. Emo's Pizza is a specialty around here. It's blah. It's okay. It's it's a point of contention. Uh, toasted ravioli, which has spread the nation, I think, finally by now, is uh, becoming more popular. A delectable gooey butter cake. But I want to start off because what month are we in? We're in March. We're in March. March Madness basketball tournament starting. I have in celebration of Pi Day, the Pi Day bracket, where you, Aaron Pags, are going to choose your favorite pie, and where it's going to be known that this is the ultimate pie at the well, contention and or adoration of all six hundred and two subscribers. By the way, we have eclipsed six hundred and two. Starting off, these are in no rankings whatsoever, so don't get at me here, but. Pumpkin pie versus apple pie. Oh, come on now. This is slam dunk. Apple pie all the way. You can have it all year round. Pumpkin's I don't disagree. Seasonal. Pumpkin's Just a seasonal question. pie. Apple pie moves on. Just making sure. All right. Here's one. Cherry pie versus coconut cream pie. Oh. Ooh, I like the looks of that. that yeah, means, that's a, a tough difficult one. Difficult bracket. Yeah, they're two totally different tastes. Coconut cream pie, much more of like, uh, you know, I want to like wallow in my misery about my poor draft and cherry pie more of like let's sit outside on the front porch and have some sweet tea type of d deal um i've had bit more better days than worse days so i'll go with the cherry pie here i like your optimistic outlook love the optimistic outlook here's another one this is one that we'll see what kind of emotions this provokes chocolate cream pie versus peach pie well dang i don't think i've ever had a peach pie Oh, you're missing out, my friend. Uh, is it? Is, I I've had a peach cobbler before, but I imagine that's Very not similar. the same. Oh, it okay. is the same. Very similar. Yeah, very similar. Um, but since it's pie day, I couldn't say cobbler, so I had to, you know, change the cobbler esque to more of a pie filling. Whatever the difference may be, I have no idea what the difference is between cobbler and and pie. But um, chocolate pie is bomb. You could put some ice cream on there, some whipped cream on there. I'm in chocolate pie. Okay, we've got our first cream option of the uh tournament so far last but not least in the uh we'll call this the southeast bracket banana cream pie or key lime pie oh man banana never you know the banana pies or banana flavor in general just never tastes like a banana it's not it's not consistent enough i should say like every different banana food that you eat mm -hmm. tastes different than the last banana food that you ate but key lime is a flavor that is absolutely delicious in a pie and in a beer for you sour beer drinkers. Mm. Key Lime Gosa from Westbrook Brewing in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. Get yourself one. Okay. So I'm guessing you're going Key Lime. Key Lime pie moves on. Apple pie. Boy, talk about America, right? Yeah. Here. This America's pastime. America. Apple pie versus cherry pie. This is Class A versus Diaz-esque type of contention one is the big apple coincidentally wow edwin diaz you cherry pie i don't know if uh there's any correlation to cleveland and cherry pie let's see where uh find if there's any correlation while you decide cherry pie versus apple pie 
Okay, so apple pie was slam dunk in round one. I don't even remember what it was up against, but slam dunk in round one. It gets harder now because you have to consider more than just the filling. You have to actually consider like the rest of the pie for a lot of these. But apple and cherry are baked identically, I think. I mean, maybe the apple might take a little longer than the cherry or vice versa. I'm not quite sure. I'd have to ask my wife about that. She's the expert baker in the house. Um, If I were to ask her to bake me a fruit pie, and she knows me better than anyone on this planet, it would be apple. And so therefore, I have to keep my allegiance to apple pie here. It's going to be tough to beat in this competition. I'm going to be honest with you. Yeah, and I knew that going in. I absolutely 100% just assumed it was going to be the untouchable um, answer. But that being said, it would have been stupid to have a bracket of only one. So I continued on with that. The final bracket on to the right is one that I would say this is kind of that odd dual Cinderella stories making it to the final four. You know, one's going to just get trounced by Apple, but at the same time, you never know because maybe there's a place in dear to your heart. Maybe this is the Steph Curry uh, Davidson heroics of chocolate cream pie versus key lime pie who advances on to the final four to the championship game. Yeah, I mean, I think Key Lime's bid is up here. It's kind of like a one-trick pony. It had its opportunity there to kind of shine in the in the first round and get its way all the way to the Final Four. Um, but it's going to have to, you know, Cinderella loses the slipper at midnight. And um, Key Lime Pie is a very specific taste. You really need to want it. Coconut cream, or chocolate cream pie, I should say, is a 24-7, 365-day-a-year pie. And so... Too consistent. Um, that's that that consistency moves it on to the finals. Apple pie, chocolate cream pie. I think I know my answer. I'd love to hear from the the chocolate. Uh, you know, before we crown apple pie the champion here, I'd love to hear from the chocolate cream pie defenders. So if you're listening to this show, I will, you know hit us up on uh, Twitter at Fantasy Triage or at Nate Markham, um, or just you know comment here, leave us a review, tell us that. There's another pie that we left out, which pie got snubbed, which pie you think, yeah, and which pie you think could have taken down Apple in this contest. But for me, Apple was basically undefeated coming into the tournament and Mm -hmm. cutting down the nets in our March pie madness. I should have, in hindsight, thrown Cherry onto the right-hand side so we'd have a true powerhouse one versus two. Would have pecan pie made it out of round one for you yeah see i've i've started to come around to the pecan as you say pecan i've started to come around to the pecan pie a little bit living in the south for the last decade um it is almost a seasonal pie it is not quite meant for the summer though people may argue about that a little bit it's more of a colder weather pie for me so it probably would have made it but it still doesn't um, hold up to the test that Apple would would stand up to. Well, that was, uh, I would say, enlightening, uh, a little bit of fun. More, if anything, something, a good segue from our Pi Day pie draft to a, another, I don't want to call it a draft. I keep calling it a draft. It's a bracket tournament, not a draft. We're in draft season. Got draft on my mind. But with draft on my mind, Aaron, maybe it's a good idea to take a look at some of the players that, well, let's be honest. 
are going to end up on some of our teams. Mm -hmm. We don't know which ones we want. We don't know which ones everybody wants. But the easiest way I can think of that is to have a good old-fashioned bullpen badness breakdown, NCAA tournament style, a la the pie, uh, the pie day bracket. You have dubbed it the Sour 16, which I would say, if I had a hat on, I would tip it to you right now. Because no, no, I like, Nate, I'm going to be honest with you. I like bullpen badness much better than Sour 16. Bullpen badness instead of March Madness. That's amazing. Well, let's see it. Hey. well done by you. Alliteration at its finest. Well, thank you. You can call it what you want. But honestly, let's see if we can turn this bullpen badness into a specific uh you know, reliever that may help you cut down the, as I said, proverbial nets of the finals. And, and so what we've done and Aaron and I, we had a chance to, uh, to look at really eight different teams, the worst eight bullpens uh, before there, obviously. Hello and welcome everybody. I like to well, get it and go, but Aaron, I didn't ask you how you doing today, man. It's, it's exciting. I'm great. I mean, uh, these March days are the days I'm so thankful that I left the Northeast. I love those people up there, but um, mm. getting dumped on by some snow. And so I'm getting planning my golf round for uh, tomorrow, or at least hitting the range tomorrow afternoon, maybe play a little golf on Thursday morning and don't really want to rub that in anyone's face, but I'm doing yeah. good. I'm yeah, doing good. How about you? How about you? What's up with you? Yeah, it's uh, th 40 degrees today, cold. And uh, you know what, though? Hey. We get a record. We get a combine. Two of my favorite things: uh, March Madness to with bullpen badness, and talk about eight different teams whose bullpens can be murky, gross, sour, if you will, and and maybe we'll find something a shining light coming through. And so we have it broken down: eight teams with four different. So two, uh, the I would say most likely three per team one gets an automatic play in which will be the per, you know the kind of the consensus overarching has the role potentially most likely to have the role and we'll explain all that and then at the very end Aaron and I are going to crown our champions which Aaron let me ask you a question when you're deciding who to go with you have some criteria that you want to lay out how are you differentiating and deciding between each one of these relievers yeah, I mean, this is much more straightforward than the NCAA selection committee who <laughs> snubbed Rutgers. Shame on them. Um, we're not we're not trying to really snub anybody here. We're trying to level the playing field amongst all of these relief pitchers. And truly what we're aiming for is to pit these bullpens, these relievers against each other at the start of this competition. And then and then cross teams. So inside their team, pick one of these three that we might want to take a shot on and then hit these teams against each other to try to narrow this down to whether it's the individual or the bullpen that we think can provide you the most value from, you know, from within, I should say, if, if, if you hit it right, this is the, this is the guy, or this is the bullpen that we think is um, where you want to spend your late round picks. And so for me, I'm breaking these guys or comparing these guys across four different um, fields, if you will. Velocity. Velocity is king in baseball right now. And so why would you not want to know which guy's throwing the hardest in the back end of the bullpen? Um, Greg mentions K minus walk all the time. This is one of the telltale signs of relievers that end up in high leverage. The year after year, K minus walk 
if you just looked at that one metric or ratio, you would find that the best in those are typically pitching at the end of games. Of course, if you want saves, you want someone who has some experience most of the time. And when you're pitting players head to head, typically you'll lean, especially on the same team, typically you'll lean with the player who has more career saves on that team. And then we can't ignore it. Our good friend Vlad has coined this phrase, but you got to go with your gut sometimes. And so you, I, we have read Nate, have read the articles, listened to the beat writers, um, watched some spring training and world baseball classic, mostly spring training, but not so much world baseball classic yet. Um, and put a number on it, zero through five. What's my gut feeling that this person will be in the ninth inning for the great, the greatest portion of the season? So those are my four criteria. Velocity, K minus walk, career saves, and my gut. You, yeah, Nate, how, how did you judge them? So very similar uh, in context, maybe uh, different waiting periods. Uh, and a lot of that, you know, so like, number one, I, I use draft capital. I use ADP into consideration as well. That that might be a tiebreaker at the end of the day. Chances are every one of these names will be so far down our list that this is going to be that that sweet heaven where, especially if you have an anchor already, we've decided that an anchor can go seven, eight people deep in the relief pitching realm to stabilize your bullpen. These guys are all, you know, potentially good twos, excellent threes that will win you the uh, a very good chance. If you hit on these, this will make up the majority of uh, winning rosters or these players last year. If we had a crystal ball and we knew going in, we did, we had Greg, who hit on so many of these pe- players. If you had Daniel Bard, if you, you know, I mean, we thought Corey Kniebel was a sexy pick. Oops, we were way wrong. Mm-hmm. But, you know, to touch on your point about K minus BB, listen at the top, you know, it's it's Edwin Diaz, it's Liam Hendricks, Josh Hader, Munoz, Iglesias, Fairbanks, Duran, Presley, Batista. You know, the list goes on and on and on. And if you flip it the other way around and you go worst to first, uh, you get names like Zach Britton and Blake Taylor and Reese Kinnear and some other names that we don't know. Few and far. Those will be the only three times you hear those names. This year. Uh, the, I hope. Uh, yeah. You I never hope. know. We hope so. We hope so. we, we, we hope don't wish so. that on anybody. <laughs> Blake Kinnear. Sound, yeah. You sounds like you were talking about not watching the world baseball classic. I have, and I can tell you, I see four names on this world baseball classic that is on here. One is not. And we were talking about him last year, Mark Melanson. He's mm-hmm. 10th in eight at an 8.3 walk per uh, K minus BB. But, we know the criteria of you. My criteria outside of that, you know, outside of draft capital comes the health I have to play into a factor, but I can't, that's got to be my lowest weighted, but it's going to be a tiebreaker in some capacity. The most likely save opportunities with managerial tendencies, which again, so many new ships being uh, ran, we don't know. And then ratios. I, I will figure ratios. And last but not least, playing clairvoyant, trying to figure out who's going to get traded. The concern Hmm. with a few of those, as you know, is when we start guessing who's going to get traded and who's definitely going to be gone, when they're not, you're left holding the bag and you're in trouble or they stay in the same situation. But let's... uh, Let's let's fire it up, man. I'm ready. Let's go. Uh, Let's go. So the the first bracket will be breaking down the two incumbents, if you will, from the Oakland A's. Uh, I believe we have it realistically right now as uh, Danny Jimenez... 
That's our boy, by the way. Danny Jimenez is is our boy. Hit us up on Instagram last year. We had a nice conversation and Espanol and a great dude listens to the show. I think, I don't know, maybe. I hope so. If you, if he is, Danny is definitely our boy. He led the team last year with 11 saves, had a shoulder injury, which did kind of suppress his overall value, or maybe it didn't. I mean, let's look, talk about Oakland. 60-win season. They're likely to replicate that stellar start. 56% of the say of the wins resulted in saves, which is a crazy big number. They were 17-25 and 25 in one-run games. And this is the question. You know, will it be the money chasing Trevor May? Uh, will it be Danny Jimenez's role without the shoulder injury? Domingo Acevedo pick up where he left off, or is he a multi-inning uh, category? You have Acevedo versus Danny Jimenez. Who's dancing on between those two? This one was this one was one of the tougher first round matchups. This is an eight nine type of deal here. These mm-hmm. are these guys are evenly matched for this job, um, and we actually saw both perform in this role last season with Acevedo doing it mostly in September. I think he had four September saves. Jimenez having a really hot streak um, earlier in the late spring, early summertime where he was the hot pickup last season. Neither of them throws extremely hard with Acevedo at 93 and Danny Jimenez at 93.9. Um, neither of them are particularly uh, walk adverse. <laughs> and <Right>. so <laughs> that's a nice way to put it. Um, with Acevedo just inching out Jimenez at 17.1 to 14.2. So if you're, Following along at home, that's one for Jimenez, one for Acevedo. Uh, no one really on this list, except for one person, has a crap ton of career saves. Uh, and these guys just have one season's worth each. And so Jimenez outdueled Acevedo 11 to 4 last year. So Jimenez is in the lead here. Will the gut. Which I which I'll weight the heaviest here. Will that um, will that sway me towards Acevedo? I don't think so. I think that um, Jimenez showed some things, got a little nicked up. Um, if it comes down to one of these two guys who could get some ancillary saves here at the beginning of the season, um, I've got Acevedo with my gut number at three. Or excuse me, Jimenez with my gut number at three, and Acevedo with my gut number at two. And so for me, Danny Jimenez is gonna move on. Yeah, and keep this, you know, train moving. When we agree, I, I will basically just yeah. agree to to agree. And if we disagree on something, I'll give my reasoning. Being, but yeah, you know, Oakland just is is a crapshoot because unfortunately, like we said, they last year eleven different pitchers with the save, um, only one with more than twenty over the last two years combined, or well, last two years of totals. It's just how many wins will they really have? And I think that the next matchup, which is, again, like we are talking about earlier, is this a team that's going to play in and just get slaughtered? I don't know if they're going to get slaughtered necessarily, but the next matchup against Trevor May will be difficult. Let's move to the Chicago White Sox. Um, this is one where, you know, you want to talk about, you want to take that first round uh, kind of sleeper pick and advance on far. We, we might be seeing that because it was really hard to figure out a number two per se or a number three for the White Sox. So we have Renato Lopez, who is uh, comes in at 27th on Greg's top 40 relief rankings against Aaron Bummer. And, you know, I want to say it's a surefire for me. It's going to be Renato Lopez without going into detail. But I'm going to let you go into detail and tell people why it's not Aaron Bummer or it is 
Ronaldo Lopez. Okay, so I really I felt bad about my four criteria here because Aaron Bummer had almost no shot against Reynaldo Lopez. He doesn't throw as hard, mostly because he's left-handed. So maybe I should have weighed the left-hander's velocity a little bit more. And that's kind of where I said, okay, if it's if we're only talking two, two and a half miles an hour difference from the left side, that probably is just as hard to hit 97 versus 95. So maybe we give him a push in the velocity. Lopez doesn't walk anybody. Bummer doesn't walk too many people. He's kind of on that borderline of of being a little too much, getting himself in trouble. He's got a 17 bummer. I'm talking about as a 17.1 K minus walk. And Ronaldo Lopez is up near 21% uh, K, K minus walk. So Lopez is at that number that we really want to see when you see a back end reliever. The problem is here, though. Lopez has no career saves, not even a single one. And yeah, it's nice to think that the best arm will get the job, but sometimes that experience, even as little as the five saves that Bummer has, could play in the in the back of the minds of the bullpen coach, the pitching coach, and the manager, um, who are all new in Chicago, by the way. And mm-hmm. so come down to gut here. And my gut says that Aaron Bummer's not going to get the job done because he's left-handed and it's harder to, I think, cement that role as a lefty. We've seen it in the past that the elite lefties are the original highest leverage relievers, by the way, the original HLRs, the lefties. Loogies, I think they called them or whatever mm-hmm. back in the day. Um, I really couldn't pick here, Nate. I, I, and, and I think the hardest part about the White Sox was I don't think I could have picked a number one seed forget about a number two and a number three, you know, these, these three guys are, and probably there are probably some other guys on this roster that are going to get in the mix. Uh, I would have banned the Chicago White Sox from our tournament had (laughs) I had the choice. (laughs) Um, So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go with you and um, push Ronaldo Lopez through to the next round. Yeah. But I'll struggle with every White Sox pick from here on out because I don't really have a good feel for this. Well, and it's hard to have a good feel when you have Pedro Grafal, who is, uh, quote, unquote, absolutely not when asked if he's going to go with the singular closer. And I think that that's one of the biggest concerns we have is his rationale and reasoning for that just makes too much sense in that he says it up front. You know, player A will be ready, but day two, player A won't be, player B will be. And then day three, player A and B won't be ready, player C will. Day four, a, B, and C, maybe I have to go back to A, maybe there'll be a fourth option. And when you have four options, or maybe you have five options like they have on Roster Resource where they have Aaron <laughs> Bummer, Reynaldo Lopez, Jake Diekman, another fellow lefty, one of the two will have to stick around and, and maintain. That's what makes me think Aaron Bummer is going to stay in that setup role is I think that his ability to induce ground balls with, you know, with this situation, and that's one thing I don't know yet. And I'm trying to figure out, I was trying to do the math in my head and figure out, Will it a ground ball inducing left-handed pitcher with no shift capability be more sought after or will that be a novelty? And, and I didn't give myself enough time to think about it. So I don't want to dive too deep. You and I talking, because I think that we're just going to, I would talk myself in circles, not knowing yeah. the answer. I'd rather say that for another day where maybe that's actionable, but yeah, I mean, again, Pedro Grafal, absolutely not. Here's an 81 and 81 team. They, they should improve. And, you know, without Liam Hendricks, if they can result in one person, this is an opportunity for 
legitimate save upside and could win. I just don't know if we're going to get that. I want to go with the better situation if, if the person who, you know, is has done the roles. He converted starter. Now he's in the bullpen. He's going to be stationed there uh, during spring so far. 0.75 whip, 3 nothing K to walk ratio. The the biggest work that he's done so far in the offseason was – You're talking about Reynaldo Lopez now. I'm talking right? about Reynaldo Lopez, yes, okay. sir. Sorry. Um, is worked on that slider. And when you work uh, improved slider, he was top 10 in walk rate last year amongst qualified relievers. All those little pieces of the puzzle start to build a good person who I would feel confident if I want to say absolutely not to someone solidifying the ninth is I want to see those pieces. I want to see the low walk rate. I want to feel comfortable with multiple out pitches. And I think that's what I'm seeing with Reynaldo Lopez. So I'm moving Reynaldo Lopez off to the second round to face off against Kendall Graveman. We'll see how that goes. Let's move to Los Angeles, Angels of Anaheim. Uh, Carlos Estevez is our, I would say, number one seed, if you will. I mean, there's no more Joe Madden. There's no more Rizal Iglesias. Uh, in the old words of what will Phil Nevin do? Nobody really knows. But if you chase the money, it's Carlos Estevez is who they brought in. But there's, man, there's a good history of us not really caring too much for Estevez. So then it brings up last year's darling, Jimmy Herget. And I would say surprise, uh, rec like recon is Matt Moore. Who you got advancing, Matt Moore, or Jimmy Herget? Yeah, I mean, okay, let's just mention this right off the bat. Some of these matchups are poor at best. Some of these bullpens, obviously, they're here for a reason because no one really has it to seize the role. They don't have all of the it's, I should say. Take Jimmy Herget, for example. Velocity at 90.4 miles an hour. How far can you really expect a guy who barely hits 90 to take you in the ninth inning when the biggest outs some some nights are in that ninth inning? He doesn't walk anybody. That's good. Um, 19.4 K minus walk. When you compare that to Matt Moore, who really showed out last year, really brought his career back from the dead um, in this kind of multi-inning, fruitish kind of shout-out bullpen guru kind yeah. of role last year. Um, Moore still gets it up there close to 94 miles an hour. Just throws a little bit harder. Um, he doesn't really strike anybody out. Um, and so his K minus walk at 15.6, I don't think that's going to really get the job done. Um, Herget got nine saves last season, so he's been in that role. Um, Matt Moore has got five career saves in 100 seasons, so he hasn't really done it. Um, these two are my, they might, I haven't looked all the way down yet, but I think they're my lowest gut scores with Matt Moore at one. I think he's too valuable in kind of this utility role for that bullpen. And uh, Herget at two. Just don't think he has the velo to be there. But um, Herget with nine saves and better command of his pitches gets the edge here for me. Yeah, and I think it goes without saying that there are some other names, of course, in this bullpen that we could pay attention to. If we really want to get, you know, Ben Joyce, his name will start getting talked about. But realistically, it's just, I mean, maybe there's a spot for high leverage role. But this, this is about, you know, if someone had to take that job and kind of run, if there was an opportunity, I'm not, I'm not thrilled with any of these options in LA. I, I mean, I find myself probably 
sticking with the who's going to get beat by a Stevis type situation. Mm-hmm. And I went with Jimmy Hergit as well for a lot of the feet, same reasons that you broke down. I, I love the fact that, you know, he, he doesn't walk anybody 35, 35th percentile and walk rate doesn't really strike out many people, but at the end of the day, sometimes I think that this might be, I hate to say the, mm-hmm. the last year for Jimmy Hergit's wonky delivery and wonky uh, approach to throw off the hitters. But I think that's, you know, that there's there's something niche about that. I just don't really, I don't feel like either party is uh, destined for significance where I would invest a ton of draft capital into them. And that's the thing is they're, they're basically going extremely late or not drafted at all. Maybe that's for a reason. Not maybe, it definitely is. It definitely is for a reason. But now this final matchup. So now we have, well, we have Jimmy Hergert advancing against Carlos Estevez. The final matchup in this bracket is one that possibly could be the most advantageous if a team context is driving our narrative. And that's because this team is a 100-plus win team. It's a definite possibility, again. The lack of starting pitching depth, in my eyes, is greatly reduced. The quality of the team is still as good, but I do believe that maybe there might be more opportunities for saves from a team that only converted 39% of their wins into saves. And that's the Los Angeles Dodgers. And right now, picking a leader in that bullpen, I have no clue. I really don't. I don't think anybody can at this particular juncture. I think you could look back and say, okay, let's look at last year towards the end of the season. Evan Phillips obviously looked the part, had a great final uh, you know, stretch of 30-plus games. Is Dave Roberts really going to trust in that? But we have some other names that we're going to start off with first. And this is by far the most difficult, I think, in terms of anyone could run with that. And that's Daniel Hudson. Against Alex Vesia. Who you got? Yeah, I'm just going to tell you who I took, and then I'll let you break down these two guys because um, one of these uh, guys is not like the other. Um, And, yeah, yeah. and so um, I'm going to have Daniel Hudson advance here. He's got 32 career saves. He throws it harder. Um, They are both, and all Dodgers relievers, are tremendous in the K-minus walk thing. And for me, it came down to... Career saves 32 versus two and a gut score of three versus one for Hudson over Vesia. But I know that when you're talking Daniel Hudson, you need to talk about injury and I'll let you talk about that. Yeah. And that's exactly what I was going to say is here. We're talking about, you know, a pretty long history of, of just my either range man from minor to something significant. And then what happens this year? He already is battling ankle tendonitis. And so that has caught back up. But my God, if you just want to go off of just last year's numbers and and you look, uh, I mean, he he recorded five saves. Whoop-de-doo. But the, it's the history of the track record of saves that builds up a little bit more of a case, especially against Fessia, who, it's, let's be honest, just two completely different arcs of their uh, career so far. You know, two and a quarter ERA, a sub one whip, um, twenty that, you know, that K minus walk rate we talked about. for Daniel Hudson. Everything's triggering. Um, Pick Daniel Hudson, pick Daniel Hudson. Man, it's just that, that injury history is just looming, which I I don't think it's looming enough to not choose him to advance just simply because even if we wash out the first month of the season or three weeks with ankle recovery, a hundred and a hundred plus win team, if he's talking about, 40% 40% of the, or 60% of the saves, you're still talking about a 20 save uh, season, which I think is at his draft spot 
is incredible because right now, and I, I failed this all. I had this all pulled up today to to do so, and and you just, I mean, you have to scroll extremely far down, and and you get into the one thirty nine pick four seventeen. That's the thing with Daniel Hudson. This is a telltale sign. His min pick since March first is two oh six. His max is five fifty six. I mean, somebody, granted, 206 is a little bit of a stretch, but then again, you see that always spread out. Taylor Rogers has a men pick of 109 for crying out loud. That's crazy. What the hell? Right. They didn't listen to really every recount. So <laughs> follow us. You would have heard Aaron definitely say stay away from uh, from that last year and this year, unless it's a holds league. And then if that's the case, yeah, whatever. But I'm taking Daniel Hudson, risk averse, no matter what. He will go on to take on Evan Phillips in the second round. Let's. Let's switch over to the other bracket. Well, Nate, before we get over to the other bracket, let's um, say goodbye to those folks who are listening for free and let them know where they can listen to the rest of the show. Follow us over to the Patreon, patreon.com slash reliever recon. Become a member today and you can get the entire show in one spot. You can watch Nate and I or just listen. Come on over to the Patreon. Join hundreds and hundreds of your competitors, your fantasy baseball competitors, your high stakes players, everybody who knows everybody knows Greg's closer charts. They know bullpen gurus, streamers of the day. And for some reason, they listen to Nate and I don't know. <laughs> and all we forgot about are like five time FSWA yeah. award winning <laughs> Um, contributor and content producer at Reliever Recon, Eric Samolsky. So, yeah, you get it all for uh, Starbucks coffee a month. So come on over to um, our Patreon. It's, again, it's patreon.com slash Reliever Recon. And uh, Nate and I will see you over there.